When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dropstep Podcast. I am incredibly excited today. I think we have my most followed guest of all time, the most respected person around the community. That is not to discredit anyone else that's come on this podcast. You've all been great so far. But Keith Smith is joining us today. And if you have ever played with a trade machine, if you have ever tried to predict what your team is going to do sort of come the deadline, chances are you've probably looked at spot track and you've probably consumed some of Keith's work. So we've got him on the podcast today and we're talking about teams that are going to face some decisions when it comes to the second apron. These are often contending teams. These are teams with high payrolls and, you know, some of the consequences for going over the second apron are pretty drastic. But in my research for this, Keith, it looks like teams have not exactly taken a uniform strategy in how they're going to approach tackling it, right? Yeah, you're spot on with that, Jack. And uh, thank you for for having me. I, I will say, let's not conflate most followed with respect, because I, I I don't know that how respected I am. But you know, I'll take the following that 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 works. So we'll we'll take it either way. But thank you for having me on. And man, you are spot on with this 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 second apron uh, rules were introduced in this new CBA, which took effect this season. And mm-hmm. it's important to note some of the second apron rules are going to be phased in. Some of them are, they're good to go right now. Some of them will come in next year. And what they kind of do whenever they make a big change like that to the kind of base functions of how the league operates, they will hit up the, uh, the, or not hit up, but they'll give the players a chance to, Geez, I'm saying players and I mean teams. They will get, let me refresh here. Geez, you know, rewind, reset. Uh, They will give the teams a chance to kind of reset things a little bit. It's, I like to refer to it as they give you a chance to get your books in order. And what's happened here is instead of everybody saying, all right, man, these second apron rules are really tough. Let's all shed some salary. You had a handful of teams say, nope, we're going to go the complete other way and we're going to, take on salary because this is our last quit and we'll pay the piper down the road and we'll figure all that stuff out. So that's, what's been fun about this is some teams did take it as an opportunity to start lining things up and looking at things a different way where you had other teams say, nah, we're all in right now, kind of in for a penny in for a pound. Let's make it all work and let's go forward from that. So I think that's, what's been really fun about this process, really going back to, last july when all this stuff started to phase in yeah i think some teams obviously you know during cba negotiations teams are involved players are involved governors chairman owners etc some teams were maybe a little bit taken aback by the severity of this i think that the fan base certainly was before we get into team specifics i want to lay out a couple of sort of the the key details that listeners need to know before we really get into it today So the second apron applies to your team if you have a salary um, that's above $182 million this year. 
it's 17 and a half million dollars above the first apron or above the tax one of the two keith's gonna correct above the tax there we go above the tax and after that if you're exceeding that as a fair few teams already this year are the warriors clippers suns bucks and celtics you're you're facing a fair few penalties so these teams weren't able to use their taxpayer mid-level exception uh, during last year's off-season. If a team remains in the second apron three out of five seasons, their first round pick will automatically move to the end of the round beginning next year, which will mean 24-25. Uh, first round pick seven years out can no longer be traded. Uh, salaries cannot be aggregated or combined to trade for a single player making more money, which will definitely matter for some of the teams that we're going to talk about today. Trade exceptions can't be used and cash can't be traded in trades as well. Uh, it's sort of Titanic stuff. In a way, I think that some uh, GMs might have looked at it and gone, well, at least my job will be a bit simpler if I don't have all these exceptions and I don't have to include cash. But I think there'd be GMs just twiddling their thumbs if they ignored this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, you could have some. Now, to to be really clear, some of the trade rules, like being able to aggregate players and all that, that's a next-year thing that will roll in with next league year. So teams can still yep. aggregate players together now. I think most fans uh, understand trades don't have to match dollar for dollar. You can have – you can take back a little bit more than you send out in trades, but that's something next year that goes away. So essentially next year, if you're the Golden State Warriors and you want to trade a $30 million Chris Paul, you can only trade Chris Paul. You can't do Chris Paul and Andrew Wiggins together and go get somebody who makes $50 million. That will no longer be allowed. And you won't be able to trade Chris Paul and his $30 million to take back like $35 million for somebody else or something along those lines. That won't be allowed either anymore. So what you'd be stuck with is Chris Paul gets traded and then you are taking back 30 million or less. Now you can always take back less uh, money. You can always take, take back two or three players, you know, that make 10 million a piece or whatever you want to say with that, that you could do, but you can no longer put, put it all together, but that's next year. So that's why the Bucs were able to go get Damian Lillard. The Celtics were able to get Drew holiday. The Suns were able to get Bradley Beal. Cause those teams all said, you know, we'll let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems. Let's load up right now and go get these guys and make this stuff work. So that's what's been a little interesting. Where the Warriors took them took the approach, which I think was kind of the intended approach of, let's get off some long-term money owed to Jordan Poole, and let's yep. rebalance a little bit with Chris Paul, makes a little bit less money, and has that non-guaranteed element to his contract for next season and all those things. They were able to rebalance a little. But, yeah, I mean, you're going to be in a spot because the other one that you didn't mention is the buyout market. And that is mm -hmm. a right-now thing. If you're over the apron period, so that's the first or second apron, you cannot sign a player who gets bought out that made more than the equivalent of the non-taxpayer mid-level. So meaning if a guy makes more than $12.4 million this year, you can't sign him if you're one of those really expensive teams, which often correlates with some of the very best teams in the league. So that's another challenge that those teams will be working with as well. Can I double check something? So sure. Denver and Miami are within a couple of hundred thousand dollars of the second apron. 
in a scenario where they take on a buyout guy, are they allowed to do that to take them above the second apron or are they prohibited from doing that because of the second apron? Correct. They would not be able to do that. And in the Nuggets case, they were also hard capped at the second apron amount because the Nuggets use their taxpayer mid-level exception to Mm. sign Reggie Jackson. So what that does is because the teams that are over the second apron lost that, you get hard capped at that amount. So the Nuggets would be hard capped. Now, the Nuggets have enough clearance under it that they could probably go get a buyout guy if they wanted to, but they would not be able to go get a buyout guy who made more than the $12.4 million because they're already over the first apron. So if you're over that first apron, you're you're completely out of luck. You, you can't go sign any buyout guys who made significant amount of money already. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of fans listening to this podcast. I mean, if there are any fans listening to this podcast <laughs> uh, that probably expect to see Denver back in the finals again this year. And I think the betting man would say that, Keith, your beloved Boston Celtics might be the team joining them this year. They're 26 and 7. They're absolutely flying over their last 10. Uh, Keith, do you know their offensive rating over the last 10 games? I don't, but I know it's probably pretty high because they they racked up some major point totals. It's number one in the league at 127.9, which is just (laughs) earth shattering. I I haven't seen that in sort of Jokic only minutes against Charlotte and San Antonio. So they are absolutely on a roll. They've got a plus 10 net rating for the season. Uh, some players that are performing incredibly well. And I personally think that they might be the team playing the Nuggets or whoever gets there from the Western Conference in the finals this year. But they're in the second apron. And for my money, they might be the most interesting team to look at going forward with second apron issues because they've got Drew Holiday as a question. They've got Jalen Brown's extension kicking in next year. Give me your Give me your gut take on the Celtics this year. How much have you enjoyed watching them? And how worried are you about the second apron when it comes to Boston? Yeah, as far as enjoying watching them, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of this season. These guys have been really, really good. They're solid. They seem more locked in and focused than they have in past years. Uh, They're not throwing games away that feel like they should definitely be wins. They've had a few losses, that's for sure, but they don't really have any losses where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, what happened? You know, they they were completely out of it. It's just been every once in a while, they have kind of a poor shooting night and it is what it is and and you move on. So enjoyment level, very high. It's not, um, they play a little bit different with Chris Saps Porzingis in the fold. So that's been a different look uh, for them. So it's been really good. Second apron concerns. What concerns me with the second apron for them is how they're going to replenish depth if they lose it or if players don't really kind of come to the forefront that they hoped would and those kind of things. That's where it gets very challenging. Right now, I think you can look at it and say the Celtics top six it's, is good or, in my opinion, it's better than everybody else's. You've got the regular starters of Porzingis, Tatum, Brown, White, and Holiday, and then Al yep. Horford in the six-man role. That is outstanding. You, you're going to struggle to beat that. But then it's Sam Hauser, Peyton Pritchard, kind of good role players, but they're, they're not. Nobody's going super crazy over either one of those guys. And then after that, it's a bunch of maybe, you know, guy can step in here or there. And the problem is they're going to have to probably keep upcoming draft picks and try to really nail picks, which if we're being honest, Celtics fans want to be 
the 29th or 30th pick because it means you had one of the best records in the league. And ideally, that's where, where it lands out at is your way at the bottom of the first round. And if you're at the right. bottom of the first round, it's just harder to to really nail those draft picks. It starts to become much more of a crapshoot when you get into the 20s and later. So I think for the Celtics part of it, that's that's the challenge. Is eventually what's going to happen to them have to be or we got to take Jalen Brown and his $50 million a year contract. We got to break that up into three or four guys because we got to replenish our depth somewhere. What you hope doesn't happen is, you know, we're really expensive, so we can't resign Drew Holiday or we can't resign Derek White. Because if that happens, then you're going to start to have a lot of fans. They're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. You're breaking up a championship level team yep. because you don't want to pay the luxury tax. That that's something that can happen. So those are the kind of concerns they run into most for the Celtics right now. I think an early indicator of uh, the second apron being on the Celtics mind was draft night 2023, where I believe Boston had the 25th pick in the draft. And it said that they had selected Marcus Sasser. This was a day or two after the Marcus Smart trade. And I was like, oh, this is great. An MS point guard has replaced another MS point guard uh, (laughs) in TD Garden. And then he was traded to Detroit. And that begun the domino effect of the (laughs) trades where it was just Brad Stevens accumulating seconds like Thanos accumulating, you know, infinity stones, basically. I think they went from sort of 31 down to 33, down to 34, eventually down to 38, where they got Jordan Walsh. And um, they've they've stocked up on basically swings on guys. So it's going to be really important over the next few years, like you said, to replenish their depth, Keith. If they do choose to re-sign Drew Holiday, if they do choose to retain Jalen Brown, it's going to be important that they get those swings right. I wanted to talk about Drew a little bit. So he's on a roughly $35 million this year. He has a player option for 37 and a half next year. Um, my prediction is he probably opts out of that and signs sort of your Chris Paul style Phoenix Suns deal where it might be a slightly lower average number, but for a few more years. If that goes the right way, could they sort of skirt the second apron the year after this one for 24-25? They, they could. It, it would involve him taking a good amount of a step down. Now, Chris Tapps, Porzingis, his number comes down slightly from this year to next by about about 6.8 million or so, 6.7 million. So that helps. Uh, yep. But Jason Tatum goes up a little bit. Jalen Brown, the biggest challenge there is his contract goes up about $18 million from this year to next. So mm-hmm. that's where it's going to be harder to make up that, that difference. Even if you have holiday takes a pay cut, like you said, Horford's contract goes down a little bit. Uh, and Porzingis's contract goes down quite a bit. You, you would need drew holiday to take a pretty massive uh, pay cut in order for that to happen. And I just mm-hmm. don't know that's going to be how that plays out uh, for him because I think I think you're you're right in your thinking. I think there is a chance we see him take maybe he does like 30 million a year or something That's like that. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be something in the 25 million a year range. But I will say Al Horford took on him when he extended with Boston, he dropped his number down from almost I want to say it was about 27 and a half million down to 10 million. Drew Holiday is not all that far off of where Al Horford is age-wise, career-wise, and all that. So if Drew Holiday's looking at it and saying, man, I can help extend this window to be 
instead of a one or two year window into a three, four year title contention window, we may yeah. have a situation where Drew Holiday says, yeah, I'll take, yo, know, 20 million, take a huge haircut, but I'm going to, I need four years and you're going to give me 80 million guaranteed over four years or something along those lines. And that could be a way that they do start to figure out, all right, this is how we're going to get, get through some of these second apron challenges and the like. Yeah, I think that's probably the most fun outcome because trading Jalen Brown uh, over his last 10, he's scoring 24.2 points per game, six rebounds, 4.3 assists. The shooting is bouncing back a little bit. He's shooting 36% on th- uh, from three on you know some quite difficult attempts. And I don't know about you, Keith, but you're obviously a Boston fan. You used to write, uh, you know, for the sort of like Boston blogosphere and everything. I think this is the best Jalen's look since he's come into the league. I think his synergy with Chris Stapps in particular, where you've seen a guy that's sort of been accused of not having the most developed of handles or maybe not being able to make the the best sort of playmaking reads. You've seen him develop a really nice sort of two-man game with Chris Stapps, particularly because Chris Stapps can sort of operate that two-man game 30 feet from the basket. It just sort of opens up the lane for <laughs> yeah. Jalen to get to, right? You know, it's, it's a pretty big advantage. I don't think you want to trade him, you know, certainly this year. I don't think he can be traded this year. But if this core sort of stays as advertised, there's no reason to mess with this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm in agreement with you. I think this is the best Jalen Brown has played really over the last month or so. And that's saying Mm -hmm. a lot because he very deservedly made All-NBA last year, in my opinion. And that's that's a high bar, but I think he has topped that. He started the season very slow and that was Jalen Brown had to make the biggest adjustment of any Celtic with the off season additions of Porzingis and holiday because Tatum is the guy, right? He, he is the franchise guy. He's always going to kind of get his Derek white. I love Derek white. I think he, I do think the all-star uh, publicity starting to get, I think is very warranted. I think he's been, fantastic for my money he's been the best defensive guard in the nba this year and you know he's just very good all around but he's a role player then you had porzingis and holiday who are gonna get the ball a lot they're gonna get a lot of shots those had to come from somewhere those started to come from jalen brown and that's why it was just a different game for jalen brown he has to start to figure out how can i make an impact in other ways once he kind of settled in i think he, he he really took off so yeah, to your point, if if you have the level of success, but quite frankly, that level of success has to be make the finals and win the finals. It cannot yeah, be just continue to knock on the door in the East finals and those kind of things, because that's not enough. They, 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 they've done that. We've been there, done that with this Celtics team. They have to really be right there on title level or the questions start to be asked of, or what do we need to do to get them there? And then that's where you start to turn into, well, the easiest path to kind of reset and flush this thing out is probably going to be trading Jalen Brown. Yeah. And, you know, at least the good thing about having the most expensive contracts in NBA history is that it doesn't really matter if you can't aggregate salaries to go and get whoever you want because (laughs) you've got the biggest one in the league. You know, you can go out there and acquire absolutely any player you want. (laughs) But um, I think Boston are in a pretty good spot. I, I wonder if they do make quite a splashy move to go out there and get sort of a multi year uh, contract at the deadline to turn that top six into a top seven, potentially retain Hauser, uh, Hauser, Pritchard, and, and really sort of solidify this core. But it, like you I, said, it maybe depends if they can keep the draft assets. Yeah. The challenge for them is going to be matching salary in any trade is really hard without. Yeah 
moving on from one of those top guys and or Peyton Pritchard, who he's a little not super hard to move because he is poison pill restricted. That's a, you know, just a salary cap mechanism where his contract counts differently going out than it does coming in uh, for the other team. But that's a little bit of a little bit of a stumbling block, but nothing that couldn't be worked past. The bigger problem is everybody else on the team's on a minimum deal. And they, then they have a $6 million trade exception. $6 million trade exception is good, but that only gets you a $6 million player. So it's, I, I don't know that I'm going to see them make any kind of major uh, move at the trade deadline just because it's very hard for them to make a major move. But something small, yeah, for sure. Because I think Brad Stevens is always kind of in, kind of in tinkering mode. And if that means... Yeah. Hey, I'm going to trade two, three, four of these bench guys who don't really play a lot for us, and I'll rebuild my bench depth on the fly. I think he kind of looks at it and says, that's fine. Those guys are going to be regular season bodies anyway. They're really not going to play in the playoffs, so I'll figure yeah. it out as we go. And that, that's that's where it starts to become a slightly different thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that the Celtics... On the face of it, it looks kind of troublesome, the second apron, but we've spoken about some ways that they can sort of circumvent it. They've got the picks in place to sort of rebuild this depth. They could potentially even keep Jalen Brown long-term, at least until Jason Tatum Supermax comes along, in which case they've got sort of the two most expensive guys on earth. One team that is facing this crunch a little bit sooner than the Boston Celtics is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And this really feels like the poison chalice to me because they had such an awful season in comparison to expectations last year. They've turned it round. They've had a slightly ropey last 10, only six and four in the last 10 and about neutral on net rating. But they look like one of the better teams in the West. They look as advertised post this Rudy trade. And it's like they're a ticking time bomb because next year they become incredibly expensive. Keith, are you as optimistic about the Wolves as you might have been about the Celtics? Or do you think that changes might be on the horizon? I'm optimistic in terms of the talent they have. I am not super optimistic in terms of this team. They have a new ownership group. The new ownership group had to bring in a third partner to complete the purchase of the team. That already tells me, uh, are we really where we need to be You know, money-wise to, to right. pay for this yep. team? And when you look at their cap sheet, for next season, because what we have to factor in, Carl Anthony Towns, super max extension kicks in. Anthony Edwards, max extension, potentially 30% max extension kicks in. We'll see what happens with that one. Jalen yep. or Jaden McDaniels extension kicks in at $22.6 million. All uh, of those guys are jumping up. So in Edwards' case, he's going up a minimum of $22 million. McDaniels is going up a minimum of $19 million. Towns is going up a minimum of $13.7 million. If you do those three guys, plus Rudy Gobert, plus Nas Reed, who they extended last year, that is $165.6 million for five players. You are effectively already at the luxury tax line, which next year projects to be $172.5 million. And that's only if right. you just fill out your roster with you know the guys who are there plus minimum type guys. That's not re-signing Mike Conley yet. Yep. It's not going out and getting anybody new. So that's what gives me hesitation with Minnesota is you're already there. You're already super duper expensive. And is ownership going to stomach, all right, let's re-sign Mike Conley for $15 million. Or are they going to say, uh, we got good guys. You can get by with 
player X at the point guard spot or whatever. And that's that's where it gets really, really tough. Now, what's helping them is they're having a great season. They're the top team in the Western yep. Conference right now. If they finish the year and look like they're going to be a true title contender, then I think you're in a spot where all of those things become a lot easier to stomach, right? Then it is, all right, we're a real title contender. We can pay a little bit more. I just don't know about the longevity of this if they don't stick in that title contention range. I wanted to ask you, um, the the sort of thing that stands out to me about the second apron uh, punishments for sort of going over in terms of the rights that you have taken away as a GM or a team. The thing that really stands out to me is this first round pick thing where if three out of the five years you're above the second apron, your pick automatically goes to last in the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, Minnesota, much like the Suns, that's kind of not a problem for them. Is it? I mean, they've already traded all their picks. They've traded swaps. So is that like a little bit of a get around where if you trust A-Rod and, and you know the other guys who aren't quite as famous, who own the team, to <laughs> fork the money out, are they... Obviously, it's really hard to sort of rebuild your depth without some of the things that we sort of spoke about at the top of the pod. Are they in a slightly less risky position to operate as like a over the second apron team, not an over the cap team? Yeah, that part does come into play in a different way than maybe it would for some other teams because of that factor where it is we are we've already traded away those picks. And just so everybody knows, if you've traded away a pick, the pick doesn't go to the end. And then it's like Utah in yep. this case is like, man, what the heck? It, it just <laughs> falls where it would naturally fall if the pick's mm -hmm. been traded away. And because people have asked, and it will probably come up at some point, if the pick goes to the end of the draft and that happens, let's say for three teams, then they reset into their natural draft order. So it wouldn't I be would. like, you were the first team and you were the second. Like, that's not how it works. It's just you you get there and then they re reset it that way. So, yeah, I think to some extent there is a little bit of, hey, those picks are really gone. So that that one specific portion of the punishments the handicaps whatever we want to call them to the team those don't really matter to us we don't care about that it's all the other stuff it's the making trades is harder signing players is a little bit harder because if you're a second apron team realistically in a couple years you are down to signing your own draft picks and signing players to minimum salary contracts to fill out your roster without things being far more difficult on you. And that 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 can be really tough to swallow for sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Minnesota actually has their 2024 first round pick. I just sort of, uh, I, I suppose, blase-ishly assumed <laughs> that they had no picks for the rest of the 2020s, but they've got that 2024 pick. where You got to remember, you can only pick. trade every other year, right? So you're, you're, yes, you're in a little bit of a different spot. Yeah, it's not even a swap next nope. year. It's uh, yep. it's almost like Danny Ainge predicted that there'd be a honeymoon period or a lack <laughs> of honeymoon period for Rudy Gobert. Um, so they could potentially sort of bolster that point guard depth because I know that they've been struggling this year in terms of having to play either Shake Milton or Jordan McLaughlin when White Conley hasn't been on the court, who's been the guy that's really made it tick. My My prediction, again, would be looking at the Timberwolves is that they go into next year presuming that they don't have a really, really disappointing postseason where it's sort of evident that you have to trade Carl Anthony Towns. And I say Carl Anthony Towns because I don't think it's probably worth trading Rudy Gobert. It's like the ultimate failure on Tim Connolly's part if he trades in for, you know, a first and some guys after giving up the farm. Mm -hmm. So 
it's probably most likely going to be Carl Anthony Towns. I think that if they have the postseason that they probably expect to have, they re-sign Mike Conley maybe on a two-year deal. Like you said, that sort of 15 to maybe 18 million range. And that acts in that first year as we're maintaining continuity. And in that second year, they can go out and replace Mike Conley because they might actually finally have some picks to trade by then. So that's my prediction. Keith, what have been your thoughts on the Timberwolves this year? I, I want to talk about sort of the minutiae of the second apron and everything, but has it been a little bit of a relief watching them and sort of not just laughing at a franchise that historically hasn't had the best luck in the league? Yeah, I mean, they've been a you know, really fun team to watch grow and develop into this point. They Their offense gets a little wonky at points. Yep. Uh, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns are far too willing to take very difficult off the dribble shots. In my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, there's times when you should probably make one more pass or reset or just try to make things a little bit easier on yourselves. And, and there's times when, especially with Edwards being a, being a ball handling uh, scorer, it is like use Gobert. He's a good screener. Like, well, what are you doing? Like, like we don't, you don't need to wave them off to ISO against somebody and take a 15 foot contested jump shot with a hand in your face. Like, like that's yep. just not, you, you can make those once in a while, but it's not a good shot, but defensively they are terrific. They, they, they don't really have any holes uh, defensively. Conley still can do uh, what he can do. Uh, my uh, Edwards has been far better on that end of the floor the last I'll say season and a half or so. He's been really tough. Towns is 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 holding up okay at the four. We all kind of questioned it. And then Gobert, he's right back to being defensive player of the year levels uh, of a guy. And Jaden McDaniels is a wonderful defensive player who probably last year should have been on the all-defense team. And then we'll see what happens this year. So that part of it, that's what keeps them in every single game is the way they defend. They could use one more bench score. Their, their bench scoring production is really Nas Reed. And then uh, maybe somebody hits a few shots today. So that's a little bit rough, yep. but yeah, fun team to watch. Yeah. They've sort of got a, they've got a stream of defensive players that can come off the bench and help out. Like Troy Brown Jr. has given them half decent minutes this year. Uh, oh my God. I've, I've forgotten the name of the other guy. They've got Troy Brown Jr. And Nikhil Alexander Walker. He's also turned into sort yep. of a really useful player for them this year. And um, Kyle Anderson just, does what he does, right? He, he just kind of is Kyle Anderson, which is just productive player and, you know, is very helpful and all that. They just don't have that one guy coming off the bench where it's like they don't have their version of Malik Monk or a, you know, he, they don't even have like a Peyton Pritchard who can just some nights might come out and hit five or six three-pointers. Like they just don't really have that guy who's going to do that. But, you know, that's if that's your biggest problem, it's probably not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Are they a team you potentially worry about Boston facing in the postseason if it actually gets that far? Or do you think the fact that Chris Stapps can space Rudy out might sort of break this team a little bit? I suppose you yeah. probably put sounds on Chris Stapps. But. Yeah, the Celtics had a little bit of trouble with them when they played them the first time around. I think, I think they struggled with their size a little bit. They, they The Celtics weren't exactly the Celtics in that game either. They, they didn't play, play great. So that I'm curious to see what it looks like when they meet again. Um, My big thing is, is Minnesota, do I feel good enough about them that they're going to beat Denver? Are they going to beat the Clippers? Are they going to beat the Suns? Are they going to be even quite frankly, the Thunder? What if the Lakers or the Warriors are on the other side? Because we just haven't seen it, right? That's the challenge is 
it's hard to believe in a team will be successful in the playoffs. You almost have to see it the first time mm-hmm. to, to fully buy in and believe it. Yeah, I I think that when we've looked at postseason teams in the past, it's been the teams that can be really flexible that have had a lot of success in the postseason. You know, Miami typically outperforms their regular season record because they've got a mad scientist at the helm in Eric Spolstra. <laughs> but Denver last year sort of broke that a little bit in that their method of playing basketball, their style was so... Um, so difficult to deal with that mm-hmm. they made they made teams bend to their will and i think that's what it will come down to for minnesota this year you know can you hold up on the offensive end uh just quickly anthony edwards over his last 10 games 31.2 points per game sorry 31.2 32.7 points per game 41 percent on threes getting to the line nine times a game like actual efficient production which is uh impressive because edwards is one of the most aesthetically pleasing players to watch in the league when it comes to sort of highlights but mm-hmm. i think last year his numbers in particular were sort of like down in terms of true shooting i think he's really starting to put it together and i've been really impressed sort of with the pace that he's played at as well for a guy that athletic to be able to play sort of um so laid back and so measured it's it's really come on leaps and bounds since that rookie that we all sort of loved. It's, it's maybe not necessarily as exciting when he's not trying to you know dunk someone onto a highlight reel permanently, but uh, he's been a <laughs> damn effective player this year. But yeah. defensively, it's just about can they be so strong that they break teams, not the other way around? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's, that's going to be the thing. They, they need to play their game. They can't get sped up. They can't get in an up and down game. They will run into trouble if that happens. Yeah, the the first two teams we spoke about, uh, the Celtics and the Wolves, have guys that are going on supermax contracts. Uh, the Celtics had it with Jalen Brown last year, where he, like you said, deservedly made All NBA. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have it with Towns and potentially even Edwards this year, like you said, if he makes an All NBA team, where instead of paying thirty percent maxes, they're paying thirty five percent maxes. One team that has had the opposite of this is the Memphis Grizzlies in that they've probably had some really bad fortune in that John Morant has missed the first 25 games of the season. They've had sort of rough injury luck, but Jar missing out on all NBA means that this contract is locked at 25% and they've got Jaron, they've got Desmond Bain, they've got John Morant and they've got Marcus Smart for now, all on contracts that are fairly reasonable for you know the sort of standard of player that they are and i think in jar they've actually got a real bargain if he can keep himself on the court are you excited when you look at them because i think they've sort of dodged these second apron issues through this misfortune a little bit a little bit yeah i mean it certainly didn't hurt them long term with with that and clearly i think they would say they would rather paid john moran more and and had him on the court last year and in the playoffs and to start this season. This this season is starting to feel a little bit like we might just need to kind of write it off for the Grizzlies. They're now five and a half yeah. behind the Lakers for the final uh, play-in spot. Not, not impossible to make up that ground, but they're almost as close as they are to the Spurs as they are to the Lakers, which is, you know, that, that kind of just tells you what you need to know. And on top of that, You'd have to climb a couple teams in Utah. I was playing much better recently. Golden State, who's still still the Warriors. I'm still gonna. I'll be a year too late on the Warriors. Uh, you know, by the time all is said and done, I'll I'll, I'll admit they're bad when they finally are uh, there. But I think the challenge with the Grizzlies is 
that needs to be the conversation heading into the trade deadline is, or are we just going to kind of call this year? It is what it is. And we're really looking to be whatever we're going to be next year. Because again, to your point, great. You've got John Morant signed. You have Jaron Jackson Jr. signed. Perfectly reasonable contracts. You got Marcus Smart at 20 million next year. Probably a touch higher than you want to pay him, but not the end of the world. Yeah. But now Desmond yeah. Bain, his deal jumps $30 million next year. So now yeah. all of a sudden you've got him. Then you have Clark and Adams at a combined $25 million uh, for next season. That starts to be where it all of a sudden is, oh boy, like where, what do we do now? Because those start to get to be really challenging numbers uh, to work with when you're up and over that second apron. And that's what the Grizzlies are facing because it's not only just those guys and all individually, none of those contracts is like, Oh no, what a mess. But you start putting them all together and then you have a bunch of five to seven to $8 million guys for guys who just haven't really kind of worked out as draft picks that all puts you over the second apron. And now you're limited or really over the first apron. They've got enough room probably to wiggle around the second apron, but up and over that first apron, that still puts you in a spot where it's just a little bit harder to make the moves you need to make. Now, this is my question. Keith, sometimes when I look at teams cap sheets, it sort of takes me a little while to get acquainted with them. I feel like you must look at a team's cap sheet and you sort of read it like, um, have you seen the matrix? (laughs) Yep. You know how, uh, I think it's tank sort of looks at the code in the matrix and he goes, ah, brunette, blonde ginger brunette blonde he just sees it in a completely different way to everyone else do you look at this team's cap and you see a trade to sort of decrease salary coming or do you potentially look and go they've got four really high quality starters on the team at the moment do they have room to squeeze in a fifth with the contracts of clark canard and adams more this the the first the the former there i i think just again, market size history tells us they're probably not going to go super deep into the tax. So that starts to be for me is, all right, where are we going to go? And there could be a rebalancing trade that comes. I, I, as much as it kills me as somebody who loves Marcus smart, I could see we are hitting the the point in his career where he's kind of bouncing around the last few years because teams just keep kind of moving him because it's, you know, we'd really rather not, but that's the contract. That's the most movable one for us to, rebalance us get us a true wing with size or get us another big that compare with jared jackson jr or what whatever it may be and i apologize i've got the hiccups and see i get all <laughs> talking right. marcus smart and i get all all verklempt over here so i get all, all upset but, you know i love that guy so yeah so that turns into a little bit of you know where are we going right like 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 what what is this going to look like what is this going to be and that's that's where it gets to be a little, little tricky right is you know what what do you do long-term? Because I just don't see them being a team that's going to say, hey, let's put together Clark and Adams and a couple other guys and go get another $20 million guy, sap our right. depth, and now be there because they're they're not quite at that level where it is, all right, go all in for one more guy and now we're a title contender. It feels like they, they might be another year or two away from that. The other thing is this Memphis rebuild has, I say rebuild, it's no longer a rebuild. They've built. They're, they're a yeah. house now. They're a playoff team, you know, bar 25 game suspensions to their best player. <laughs> but the thing that happened where they're sort of, they were so ahead of schedule, they were picking at the end of the draft where really, you know, teams that have this sort of age profile are usually moving from 
early lottery to late lottery to the teens and then to the 20s when you're fully ready to sort of contend in terms of where you're picking in the draft. I look at this year and to sort of continue on with this theme of bad luck potentially paying off for them. If you do write off this season and you do sort of say it looks like we're destined to not even make the play in, that does mean that this Memphis front office that has drafted really well in previous seasons gets a chance at the top of admittedly a slightly weaker draft class. Uh, I spoke about the top eight of the draft with Bryce Simon on last week's episode. He's a big fan of yours, Keith. Gave yeah, you a nice Bryce shout is the out best. Love Bryce. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they potentially get a chance to pick that fifth guy that we're talking about without having to go and add the 20, $30 million salary, right? Yep. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. That's where you, you kind of, you know, what, what, what do they say? Take, take lemons and make lemonade, right? That's what you're doing. You took your lemons of a season and you're making lemonade out of it because you got a good high draft pick. Now there's pressure because you're going to nail it, right? You have to nail this draft pick if it ends up a good one, because you're probably not going to get another good draft pick like this again, if you're the team you want to be the one thing I think where the Grizzlies went wrong and it's not necessarily the contracts they gave out or even trading for Marcus smart. I think they were a little too precious with their own young players and their own draft picks. They started to buy, Hey, our draft and develop is better than anybody else's. And it, it, it's probably close. It's like them in Miami, right? Miami does it a little bit differently with undrafted guys. And through the G league Memphis draft and develop has been very good. And that produced John Morant and Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. And really, really good players. But I think what you have to then look at is, all right, is that going to continue as an every year thing? When, like you said, you're drafting in the teens and in the 20s. Or should you move some of those draft picks? Should you have moved a couple of those young players? And then you could have got that guy who could have been your third, fourth, fifth guy and really pushed you over the top. That's where it's it's a very, very tough needle to thread of yeah. when do I lean in? When do I trade my picks? When do I go for it? Because if you don't get it right and you go too early, you maybe never get there because the team doesn't end up as good as you wanted it to be. And if you go too late, you never got there because now it happened too late. But it, but that's why these front officers are paid a ton of money is to get those decisions right. So that's something that they, they, they might have missed. A little bit of a window there. I'm not going to say fully, but guys like Zaire Williams, like there's not a lot of trade value left there on a guy yeah. like that. Whereas a couple of years ago, there might've been a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. The moment that jump, uh, that jumps out to me and just to reemphasize that Kleiman and that front office has done an exceptional job over the yes. last few years. But um, I like to listen to the game theory podcast. And mm-hmm. I remember when David Roddy was drafted, uh, I believe 2022 draft, Sam had guessed every pick five minutes before it was going to come you know not in uh i've read shams's tweet and i'm just going to say it on the podcast he sort of you know had spoken to enough people to the point where he could go i think this guy is probably going to go here i think this guy is going to go here and it sort of matched up nicely with his big board and then it came to memphis and uh they picked david roddy and he had a he had a meltdown he freaked out because he looked and they, he was 55 or something like that on his big board and they picked him 25. I think that was the DeAnthony Melton pick, actually. No, maybe that was Jake LaRavia. But um, yeah, it was one of the two. But yeah, you're you're around it. Yep. They got so sort of confident in their almost identified guys that other teams don't necessarily value as much. I know that Zaire sort of has the build that other teams might have been looking at prior, which is why they had to pick him at 10. I think they traded up originally to get him. 
But yeah, that was part they, of the they, Adams Valentina swap with the Pelicans. Yes. Yeah. Imagine if they hadn't made that swap. Imagine if they picked Trey Murphy at set yo, know, maybe he isn't there at 17 because the Pelicans <laughs> jump. But yeah. my God, what a position they could have been in, right? Trey is absolutely that guy. I I look at the market with Memphis and I think that uh Keith, you were saying before we went live on air, you've spoken a lot about Jonathan Kaminga today maybe that's a move that they could potentially sort of gamble on. A guy that's low salary, they don't necessarily have to give up much now. They have to extend him in a year or two's time. Maybe Kaminga is the guy that can come into that developmental developmental environment and really thrive as that fourth or fifth guy in the lineup because they do lack an athletic wing. Yeah, I'd be all over that. If I was Memphis, I'd be calling Golden State to say, Hey, is this gotten bad enough that you're ready to move him? I also yeah. think, you know, because his contract is so low right now at about, it's about 6.1 million or so. Boston should be making a call. Phoenix should be making wow. a call. The Clippers, <laughs> all those teams should be making a call because that's a low enough number that you can acquire it. There's a ton of upside there with him as a player. And you could potentially have team control over we're going to resign him we're going to put him in a sign and trade to fill a hole another way however you want to do it uh there now it, that's one of the punishments though if you're over the second apron you can't sign and trade a guy away you can't acquire by the sign mm-hmm. of trade so that's that's a whole whole other can of worms with with the, the restrictions on you but you you at least have control and you have ways and that's where i would be all over that if i was one of those teams where you kind of you're picking off a in a lot of ways, an undervalued player because of what he may grow into. And those teams can probably be a little bit more patient with, hey, we can give you the year and really figure it out. Well, what does it look like? And then go into your extension conversations in the summertime and all that. But yeah, it's it. that's a uh, that's a guy I'd be all over if I was one of those teams for sure. Wow, Kaminga and the Celtics, that was one that I hadn't thought about. But like we said, right at the top of the podcast, they've got those draft assets and He's another guy that could potentially come in and be that big wing that um, that Brad Stevens has previously stated mm-hmm. that they're open to trading for this year. Okay, right. And if he doesn't think- work out, it's you're out whatever you traded for him, which for them would probably have to be draft picks to, yep. to get him because that's the only reasonable thing they could offer. You're yep. out the draft picks, but you tried, right? You tried something. And if he does work out, well, now all of a sudden you're in a kind of a whole different place than, than where you've been. Uh, you know, for that that one extra position, because now you're talking about your bench unit becomes Horford, Pritchard, Hauser, and Kaminga. Like, good luck, right? That feels really good, and and you're not relying on him to be more than what he maybe is. Now, if his issue is I'm not getting enough minutes and enough shots, yeah. so what I am, that could be a problem, right? Because then the team may say, "Oh boy, like I don't know about bringing him in here where." you're going to play probably a similar role to what you play with the Warriors, maybe even less. So that needs to be a conversation we really need to have, but maybe it's just, I need to change the scenery and we go from there. But that's just, those are the kind of guys, those really expensive teams need to be looking at where it is. Hey, we can take a shot on a guy and it can pop, maybe pops and then we'll figure it out long-term with the contract. Cause those are the guys that are affordable gets for them versus continuing to kind of go all in on these major star type trades. Yeah, Tari Eason's another one that I look at over in Houston that potentially doesn't get as many minutes as he deserves. Now, he's a second-year guy, and I think long-term there's definitely a role for him either in that six-man 
sort of style that he actually had at LSU before he came into the draft. But he's another one that I think could come on to a playoff team or even a contending team and really sort of uh, contribute. His stocks numbers are absolutely off the charts. But uh, I, I want to speak it's a about... Good, sorry, Hibbert. I just want to just say with Houston real quick. I, yeah. I think it's something will come to a head eventually there. It's not, we're not there yet. We're not even close yeah, to there yet. But Jamari Smith, Jay Sean Tate, Tari Eason, Cam Whitmore, that's a lot of guys who probably need to play. And then we'll see what Eamon Thompson becomes. Is he gonna be a is he gonna be a guard? Is he gonna be more of a wing? Is he gonna need to play some minutes at the three, maybe as a super small ball four? You know, what does that look like? Because we kind of know right now, at least for the next few years, we got Alperin Shingoons locked in as the center. We've got Fred Van Vliet as the point guard. And then all the rest of it's a little more nebulous because Jalen Green hasn't quite developed the way you think everybody hoped for and all that. Yep. Now, they don't need to make any decisions today. And they, they're fine. You've got plenty of time there. If you're Houston, you're you're now ahead of schedule. They're playing really well, uh, really pushing in on being a pretty good team. But something will eventually come to a head where one of those guys is going to be like, and I need more minutes. And from there, it might be, all right, we're going to plug a hole here. So let's make a trade of one of these guys to plug that hole instead. So we'll, we're going to see how that all comes together. Yeah, it depends how fast that front office wants to move. I was playing with Correct. the trade machine the other day, and I realized, you know, if they are sort of ready to move on from Jalen Green, uh, they could be a really interesting Donovan Mitchell landing spot because they've got that matching salary and they've got multiple young guys that they could move. You know, like you said, we've got that crowded wing room where maybe Tari Eason could move. I, I saw a Cam Whitmore compilation of some of his G League highlights and his NBA buckets. Really and good. It looks like someone's playing 2K with him, man. He's catching alley-oops. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's hitting step-back threes. He looks you know, physically ready for the NBA. I want to do a separate Houston podcast. I want to get Brado NBA back on the pod. He was my first ever guest on the drop step, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be back before the season's out. But I want to move to three more teams in the West before we finally talk about uh, the team that I think is so ahead of the game in terms of the second apron stuff. So we've got the Clippers, we've got the Suns, and we've got the Warriors all operating as above the second apron teams this year all to sort of varying degrees of success. Keith, um, I'm giving you the chance to quit your current job at SpotTrack, <laughs> and I'm giving you the chance to go and be the GM for one of these teams for the next couple of years. What job do you fancy? What job don't you? Oh, that's a good question. I, I would not probably want the Warriors just because it's you're you're getting into the range of do we take down what's been a legendary group? Like, is it time to start breaking that down? What does it look like? Yep. Or am I pinned into having to ride it out with this group? And I don't know what else I can really do around that. The Suns, very expensive team. So that starts to be a little bit more of a don't. I don't love the, the Bradley Beal contract because of his age and his injury history. Kevin Durant, obviously, same kind of thing. Age and injury history. Love him as a player, obviously, but... I don't know where I'm going to go. So I would pick the Clippers. Now that maybe he's like, you just said agent injury history. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the Clippers yeah. have a ton of cap flexibility as soon as maybe even the summer. If I decided, Hey, the direction to go is move on from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And obviously I'm assuming in this fictional world, I'm given the go ahead to decide 
to do that, I can, right? I can make those decisions if I want to. So so I'd probably go with the Clippers just because you have a lot more optionality versus the other two. You're a lot more locked into what your franchises are. Fair enough. And you are coming into probably the situation that looks the healthiest at the moment. The Clippers, after sure. a five-game settling in period for James Harden, they're absolutely rolling, man. And um, mm-hmm. they're a team that I'm keeping an eye on at the deadline because when you go this all in with James Harden, and you retain that 2030 pick that next year they wouldn't actually be able to trade because they're a second apron team. I think that they could potentially make a splash. They don't potentially want to keep PJ Tucker, who's on, I think, 11 million for the next year and then uh, the year after that as well. They've got Norman Powell, who's actually been playing some really good minutes this year. He's earning $18 million a year. But I look at a team with James Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, oh my God, am I actually missing someone? I might be missing someone. Who's the who's the fourth guy I'm forgetting here? Uh it's Russ. Russ. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Fourth guy, maybe. Sure. <laughs> I remember it being sold as a big four. That 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 feels sure. like a long time a ago now when we were yeah. talking about Rust and Harden uh, starting <laughs> together. But when you look at a team with that much scoring power, I wonder if Norm Powell's $18 million salary could be moved on. Yeah. They're a team that really could make a big splash and really be, you know, not only a contender, but a favorite in the West. Yeah. In, in you have to be sold that Kawhi and Paul George are going to be there, right? Which we yep. haven't seen yet. We haven't seen those guys there in April, May, and June. Uh, never mind June, April, in the beginning part of May, uh, if we're being more realistic to where they've been so far. And then you got to be at least somewhat sold that Harden will be good enough or will be able to, if he's not, be carried a little bit by some of the other talent on the team because he doesn't always have the greatest playoff uh, track record. And then what's encouraging though, is you have the richest owner in the game. Steve Ballmer is not going to bat an eye if it's, Hey, you know, this is our last chance to take on some money in a trade. And we think it gives us a 3% better chance of winning the title. He's going to say, go ahead, go do it. Let's go. Cause he he'll pay whatever it takes, you know, to get there. And it's it, part of that is because, we could add a hundred million to his tax bill and he'll find that in his couch cushions tomorrow. Right. Like he <laughs> just doesn't worry about it. So it's, it is kind of what it is. So I, it's just, you know, that that's, that's a, that's an extra added benefit that those other franchises, even though the Warriors are paid the taxes, you know, he's deep into the taxes. Anybody's ever gone. And the Suns are starting mm-hmm. to push in that direction. I know with Ballmer, there's not, we haven't found the, the breaking point or the point where he blinks. And I don't know that we ever will within the reasonable constructs of building out a roster because the Warriors are a half a billion dollar payroll and salary team this year, almost. And mm-hmm. Steve Ballmer, a week ago at the end of the year for Microsoft, just because he still owns stock, made a billion dollars <laughs> just, wow. just because. So, Right. That tells me like he could say, yeah, I can pay it. Doesn't really matter. Keep going. I just want to win. And it looks like that's what he's super committed to. So that part would put them a little bit ahead of the others for me. Yeah. Steve Barmer and Joe Lake are potentially the reason why the second apron came in in the first place. (laughs) Just making every other owner look really bad. And the Nets too, right? What the Nets were kind of growing into becoming. So that that was also a thing. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. But I I look at the Suns, for example, and I think just because of that Bradley Beal contract and the fact that they have the no trade clause, 
they're potentially committed to being a second apron team more than any other team in the NBA. You know, you look at the Warriors, I know that they have Steph, I know that they potentially have a closing window, but that's still a window. Like you said, you want to be late Mm -hmm. on the Warriors, not early. They've got way more flexibility to sort of go and do what they want with Clay expiring with, I suppose the Wiggins and Draymond contracts aren't fantastic. But the Suns are completely locked into this. And that'd scare me a little bit if I had two guys in their 30s with the injury concerns, like you said, in my fake GM question. Are you taking any of those jobs or are you staying as, you know, <laughs> trust, uh, There are 30 NBA general manager jobs. If anybody wants me to take one of them, I am all over it and I am taking it. I feel pretty confident I could come back to spot track after if it doesn't work out. I think so. I think so. And you've got, you know, Seattle and Las Vegas coming as well in the next couple of years. So it's going to be 32. They're they're, they're looking for people already. I think the ads are already on LinkedIn. The final team that I want to talk about is a team that when I heard about the second apron, I was really worried about their future. And I heard other T sort of other pundits speaking about the OKC Thunder and saying, oh, well, this is such a shame. They're not going to be able to keep this core together. But this is not going to be a problem for them for so long. Would you rather have any other NBA job? I mean, I feel like Sam Presti has sort of played 2K with this team in terms of the amount of assets that he's accumulated with how quickly the young guys have started to look like a big three. I know that a lot of major outlets are sort of citing Shea, Chet and J-Dub as just, this is a regular big three now. This isn't just an all NBA guy and two really good looking young players. They're a team that looks set to really make a splash and are they one with the cap flexibility that they have over the next couple of years you maybe expect to make a move at the deadline we'll see about at the deadline making major in season trades like that has not necessarily been sam presti's thing he makes in season trades but they're more of the tinkering kind of trades and that's even going back to people be like well yeah it's because they were rebuilding the last couple of years, but that's also going back to when they were pretty good teams. Cause Oklahoma city's really only had a couple bad years. Like they, mm-hmm. every other year they've been very, very good. So I think with the thunder, we're in a spot where they could kind of do almost whatever they need to do. Now it gets a little bit harder, maybe in a year or two. I do think whether it comes at the deadline or this summer, we'll see them turn Davis Bertan's contract into even if it's not a great player, just another guy who extends that window with a tradable salary for a little yep. bit longer, because eventually we are going to run into, they've already had to resign SGA, battery signed door. Next up will be Giddy. Then it'll be Holmgren and, and J-Dub, the Jalen Williams, the, the kind of wing forward one. And that's where it becomes, all right, where are we going? And behind those guys, you've got to build out a functional roster. and You've got to build some depth. So what I start to look at with the Thunder is, are we in a spot where we can really put them in a position where, yeah, you know, we can get into, um, how do I explain this? We can, If we feel like what we need is a four or a four or five, we can go get it because we can make it happen. We can go get that guy with relative ease because we're going to go make the trade for him. Uh, All right, I think we need another shooter because the one thing that they have going for them is, they can offer some interesting pieces as far as salary matching goes, but they can then plus up any offer they make with, oh, you want three draft picks, four draft picks, five draft Here picks. Is. Here it is. We can do it. And they don't have to worry about it. And, and they're more real draft picks than some of these ones that are like, 
oh, well, it's kind of a draft pick, but it's top 15 protected. And, you know, you may never really see it because the team's probably going to be bad for a while. Yeah. Those sort of things. So that's where they're in just incredible flexibility and shape with a good team that's quite frankly ahead of schedule um, on being quite as good as they are. But they've got all kinds of ways they can go, which is really, really fun. Yeah, those uh, sort of fake draft picks you're talking about, they're the picks that the New York Knicks own. They're the yeah. Wizards protected pick, the Detroit Pistons protected pick that yep. they may actually convey, but there is a chance that they stay as a second or two up until like 26, 27. And by the time um, they convey, they they may not be very good, right? They may be the 15th, 16th pick in the draft or something like that. And that's that starts to be it's it's better than nothing. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather have it than not have it. But that's why nobody's bowled over with those kind of offers when you hear, well, the Knicks offered three first round picks. Yeah, they weren't three of their own. Like it was probably one of their own plus a couple of those. And their own picks not very good right now because they're a good team. So that that's where it gets to be a little bit messy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I look at the OKC Thunder and I see that they've basically got up until the 2026-27 season where they can go and add that splashy guy. I know that Lowry Markkinen has been a name that's been mentioned a lot um, sort of on the market and the rumor mill. It was a real surprise when he said he was potentially available, like Danny Ainge was potentially sort of fielding offers. I, I know that it'd take the farm to get Lowry out of Utah, but that was something that surprised me. Keith, the idea that I want to run past you to sort of finish this podcast is one that I've mentioned on the pod before with uh, Dylan Huntsinger, who is Thunder Chats on Twitter. He does the Topic Thunder podcast. It's a great listen. Go and check it out if you're an OKC fan. I'm sure we're about to see a generation of kids become OKC fans as we did Warriors fans, like sort of in the 2010s. I think the ultimate second apron avoidance move that the Thunder could make is kind of similar to what we've spoken about with the Jonathan Kaminga move. And I think that not this year in the draft, but come 2025 or come 2026, when you're going to have Cooper Flagg, uh, AJ DeBanza and Cameron Boozer come into the draft in those respective years. I just wonder if they hold all these picks and they look, we've got our core three slash four. If you include Giddy, I, I don't know if, He's going to be there for the long, long term, especially with some of the stuff that's going on in his background. But I just wonder if you look and you go, let's add the rookie at the top of the draft. Let's bowl a team over with the number one pick with five, six firsts, seven firsts. And, you know, Usman Jang or Kaysom Wallace. And let's get a guy that can immediately plug into our lineup while... Chet is on his first extension. Jalen is on his first extension. Shea is on his supermax you find that ultimate value in having that one rookie contract of it's Cooper flag. That's the guy that I ran past Dylan all those sort of pods ago uh, as that sort of complimentary four that can potentially come in and extend that window. And I just want to sort of pose the question to you, not necessarily are they going to do that? Cause no one can predict that, but do you think we're going to see teams make more radical moves in that sort of way moves that have potentially been avoided over the last few years because there's been status quo. I think you'll see some teams try. I think it. a lot of that depends on who gets that pick when it's the Cooper flag draft. What does he look like in his year at Duke? Does he look like, holy cow, this is this is the next Wembenyama or Zion or AD? Like, like we feel like this is the guy, right? It's, we, we use the term once in a generation a little too often, but 
like maybe once a decade type player. And maybe we get a couple of them in a span of a few years. And that, that is what it is. But is that, is that what he looks like? The challenge is if it's a very smart team, I would probably look at OKC and say, no, I don't want your seven picks because Mm -hmm. then I'm where you are, but without SGA, without chat, without all those guys. Cause what's I think has been a little bit missed. They got Chet with their own pick. Like that was their own pick to get that's him, true. right? So that's like that's how you got that high. And then Jalen Williams, they they by a lot of people screamed and yelled that they reached in drafting him. And clearly that was wrong now, right? So what their best bet would be Usman Jang, Kaysom Wallace, maybe Josh Giddy. Those guys become awesome. And it becomes, hey, now it's picks plus those guys then maybe that's how you get to a spot where it's there. But even if we don't have to go all the way to the you know super high-end spot there, what I think your thought process is correct on is you could see the Thunder rather than say, hey, we got to go all in to add, and I'm just making it up because he wouldn't make sense on this team, but a Zach Levine yeah. player makes $40 million a year. Rather yeah. than going that direction, we may see the Thunder say, let's kind of keep rolling through these um, younger options. Let's keep kind of cycling through it a little bit just to kind of keep our salaries in a very reasonable place where we continue to have all the flexibility we need. Because what they can do is, even if it's not to get up to like number one, they can say, hey, we're at 20. We want to get to 12. You want two picks for that? Great. We'll give you 20 plus, you know, something else. Plus something else. And they could do that six, seven times. And that's how instead of going all the way up to one, you make a series of little moves. And that's how all of a sudden it's like, man, the Thunder have 10, 11, 12 guys I really like because they picked them all in the middle of the draft and they're all pretty good players. So that's a that's the way I think you go forward versus, hey, we're piling all in to go get the one guy. Maybe they do go the one guy route. But if they do that, that's more likely to be a veteran than it is to go do that through, uh, you know, getting a guy at the top of the draft because teams just don't trade out of the top of the draft that way. It's it's very different um, in the NBA because you only play five guys at a time. One of those yeah. five is truly awesome. You, you you're very hard pressed to move off. And whereas like in the NFL, you'll see teams sometimes say, hey, if I can get seven picks for this one draft pick. Like, let's go because I feel like building a roster where I got to have 50 guys on my roster, 60 guys available versus 15. It, the more bites at the apple, the better versus, nah, I'm not passing up on the one generational prospect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the only scenario where it could potentially happen is looking at the draft. Uh, OKC has rights to a swap with the Clippers in 25 and in 26. Let's say Keith takes the Clippers job tomorrow. He decides to move (laughs) on from George and Leonard and, you know, James Harden asks out for a 17th time. Then you could have sort of the poverty franchise pick that could be, you know, three, four. And then you're doing your um, sort of my favorite draft moment of all time. Your uh, Penny Hardaway, Chris Webber, 1993 situation where it's, we'll offer you this really high lottery pick that we already have. 
plus three, four, five firsts. Maybe that's the scenario where it can get there. But yeah, Keith, I think I've got my uh, my fancy hat on a little bit too much there. <laughs> it's okay, though, because it could happen, right? That's the great thing about the NBA. Everybody treats these team building a little bit different. Like I said, all of the rules in the NBA were designed around building even playing fields, and they're just not. They, they, they just still aren't because you have the Steve Ballmers of the world. You have the Warriors of the world. You have the Magics and the Thunder and these other teams that are in smaller markets. So they just can't, can't necessarily be that way. So what they have to do is continually reinvent and find these uh, abilities where you can perform some kind of arbitrage where it's where we're <laughs> constantly seeking out ways to turn and turn this into something what it what it isn't today but we're we're ahead of it and we're trying to be be there sometimes they teams get a little too cute with that and it doesn't work but that's what's fun about this whole thing is everybody tries and everybody's trying a different way and i think that that's what makes this league i'm biased obviously it's my favorite league in the world but it just makes it different from a lot of the other sports where it is it's you're not just dependent on building through the draft you're not dependent on well you want like, like I love the Premier League. I love Major League Baseball, but there's like seven, eight teams that can really win. I get this yeah. year the Diamondbacks and Rangers push through, and that's different in Major League Baseball. So that is a little bit of a different story. But it's you know the, we we know who the contenders are, and it's the teams that are going to sp- outspend everybody else by a considerable amount. But basketball is. You're not super dependent on the draft. You're also not super dependent on having to spend a ton. You just got to get it right with your roster building. And that's that's what's really fun because there's no one way to to building a championship-level roster. You can get there any number of different ways. Like you said, I think that's why we're absolutely obsessed with it. And Keith, it's one of the reasons why I asked you to come on the pod, despite the fact that you know, I just love your work anyway. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. And I think that guys hopefully what you've taken away from this is exactly what keith said that there are so many different ways to build out the draft you know we've spoken about the celtic uh sorry build out your team we've spoken about the celtics potentially trading for jonathan kaminga today that's something that never would have occurred to me if i hadn't spoken to keith i'm sure that he's you know been ruminating on this for since that shams news broke but um (laughs) we've spoken about so much stuff and i hope that you understand a little bit more about the second apron the not only sort of the penalties that teams are going to face over the next few years, but really the decision-making that's going to go into deciding, are we going to skirt past it like the Suns? Are we going to go a different direction? Who knows? But um, what I would advise, if you're a basketball fan, and you certainly are if you're an hour and 10 minutes into the Drop Step podcast, go and follow Keith at Keith Smith NBA. Go and check out Spot Track. He posts a lot on Twitter. He's one of the guys that i like to watch on twitter for like engaging with a fan that's sort of riling him up a little bit <laughs> you love a little twitter walkies right i'm trying to be a little bit better about that this year i'm trying not to let, let the trolls get to me as much but it, it does happen it's good it's good it's it's healthier than just you know the the boring sort of press releases could you imagine if Woj did the same sort of thing and, you know <laughs> we had like Woj burner accounts Guys, follow Keith. I hope you really enjoyed the episode. If you did, drop a like, rating, subscribe. These are going to start going out on YouTube now. You're going to see clips. Share the drop step. Uh, Share Keith. Keith, where can everyone find you? What was the podcast you were on uh, an hour before this one? 
uh, NBA front office show, which I do with Trevor Lane. We do it Monday through Friday, every Friday, or just about mm-hmm. every Friday is a live show uh, where, where we do, we call it front office Fridays. We, we have a lot of fun with that one. So that's always a blast. And then uh, find all my written work at spot track as well uh, over there, but yeah, check out uh, NBA front office show. You can find that on YouTube. You can find it uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Guys, it's been a blast. Stay locked into the Dropstep feed. We've got more exciting content coming up, but thanks for listening all the way through. Cheers.